Yeah, thanks for coming along tonight. So we're going to go through Mark 14, which is um, the account of the couple of nights leading up to Jesus' death. Uh, we haven't really done this before, so it's okay if you're a bit lost. I'm a bit lost. I'm quite sure what's going on. Uh, we'll just fill it out as we go. But basically tonight we're just going to pattern our night off of the events of Jesus, um, the, the nights leading up to Jesus' death. And what I hope will happen is that we'll experience the, the story in a different way and we'll kind of learn new things by going through it in a different way. So we'll see where it goes. Um, you'll need a Bible throughout the night because we'll be doing a lot of readings. Um, so if you want to grab a paper Bible or you can just use your phones, um, you can flick open to Mark 14. So feel free to grab a Bible and give you a second if you need to. So um, we'll be moving around a bit tonight. We'll do different parts in different places. Um, we'll aim to finish by nine. If you need to leave at a particular time, just feel free to leave. But we'll aim for nine and uh, we'll see how the night goes. Never done this before. All right, Liam, you ready? So the first 11 verses. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were uh, only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival they say, or oh, the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, wrestling, wrestling at the table in the, the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those priests were saying in dignity to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. And the money give to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have you. And you can help them at any time you, you want. But you will not always have me. She, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to pre- prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached without the word, what she has done will, all, will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to be, betray Jesus them. 
They were delighted to hear some and hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an upper opportunity to hand him over. Thanks, Liam. That was really good. I didn't realise there were so many hard words in that, but you did really well. So it's two days before Jesus will be betrayed, and in the background, Jesus is being prepared for death. So at the start of the passage, you have the chief priests um, plotting for the best time to kill him. And at the end of the passage, you have Judas actually betraying Jesus. That kind of bookends the passage. But while this is happening, in the middle of all of that, Mark tells us that something beautiful is being done for Jesus, which is an interesting picture, I think. I've always found the passage a little bit strange. He's sharing dinner in someone's home, and then an unnamed woman comes in and breaks open this incredibly expensive bottle of perfume and anoints Jesus with it. And everyone looking on, they see this as a waste of money. It's something like a year's wages, maybe, this bottle of perfume. And they think it's a waste. You could have given it to the poor. You could have maybe given it to Jesus' ministry. But Jesus says it's a beautiful thing. He's being prepared for death. And initially you think being prepared for death is the opposite of beautiful because death is pretty ugly. I remember when uh, my dad was dying. He was in palliative care for about two weeks, which is kind of the department that you go to um, just to, to wait and die. Uh, but he still had bodily functions, so he'd get sleep in his eyes, his nose would run, he'd drool, all those sorts of things. And because the doctors and nurses, they've got their jobs, they're busy, those things would just kind of dry on his face until one of his family would see. So, like, in some sense, what does it matter if you die with drool on your face or not? It kind of doesn't. There's no practical reason to clean it off. And there were more important things for the doctors and nurses to do. Right? There's, there's a lot to do in the hospital. But to the people that loved him, it did matter. It was preparing him for death. It was giving him a small little grain of honour in a very ugly situation. And I think that's why Jesus says this woman does a beautiful thing. It looks pointless to people looking on. Why not put that money to better use to the poor or whatever? But it doesn't look like it makes a makes it doesn't look like it makes a difference to Jesus' death. But because she loved him, and she loved him enough that she cared about how he entered death. She spent all this money, this year's wages, preparing him for death. And it's really interesting, later on when he does die, he, he doesn't get anointed again. Normally when um, you die, you would get anointed and you get put in your burial linen and then you'd be put to decay. But Yeah. <laughs> 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 
Um, all right, guys, let's get started for the next section. Guys, you want to take a seat and we'll get started for the uh, dinner part of the night. For us from Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 21. So if you want to flick your Bibles open, Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 21. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciple asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the uh, table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me, the Son of Man will go, just as it was written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Thanks, Steve. Um, so now it's... Uh, Sorry? No, I said D. I said D. <laughs> um, so now it's the night of his betrayal. Uh, so we've moved on from um, just the passage before. Right from the start of Mark, um, we've seen Jesus Lee in control of all the situations. So he chooses who to heal. He chooses what storms to calm. He chooses to tell where the demons can and can't go. And at the end of Mark, we see a couple of situations where it's a bit more explicit and like um, clear that Jesus is in control of all the things that are happening around him. Like when he sends the disciples to go get the colt for him to ride into the city, he sends them to this place and everything's prepared as they thought and they get the colt and bring it back. Maybe prepared it in advance, maybe he knew exactly what would happen, but the point is he was in control, and we get another instance of that now. So here, as we go to the closer even, to the final moments of Jesus' life, where we find things are still organised just as he said. He sends the disciples to prepare a place, find a person carrying the water, and that's what they find. It's strange, but it serves a really important purpose in the nights leading up to his death. It reminds us that this situation isn't spiralling out of control at this point. The betrayal, as ugly as it is, is planned and is prepared by Jesus. So we have a little tension here in this scene. Jesus is prepared for death, both beautifully by the woman and dishonourably. Yeah. 
One past the one. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's three weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty mixed. It's pretty mixed. Pom uh, pomegranate. I was going to go cranberry, but I was like, oh, pomegranate. <laughs> 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 yeah, it'll it'll make its way over. Um, so as they were eating. Um, in the midst of their meal, uh, there was betrayal, and in the midst of their meal, there was death. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus takes the Passover meal, which is what they were celebrating, which remembers the salvation people of, um, the, of the people who would become Israel. He takes that Passover meal and gives it new meaning. And he turns it into what we now celebrate as the Lord's Supper. And in the Lord's Supper, we celebrate something uh, different to what they celebrated um, in, in the Passover. We now, instead of remembering God's freedom from Egypt, as they did in the Passover, we remember God's salvation from sin and death for his people in the church. So a very different meaning now. And so in the midst of the meal, Jesus gives them this new meaning this is for salvation. So we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together now. And normally when we do this, I kind of give an explanation or maybe a, an angle to look at the Lord's Supper and what the bread and the wine means. But tonight we're just going to leave it unexplained. Um, the disciples on that night, but keep it in mind over the next couple of days as we move through the rest of Easter about what it means to partake in Jesus' body and Jesus' body. So it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. So that's the bread. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. And interestingly in Mark, he also makes a promise to them. Something that looks forward to a future that's not here. He says, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine 
until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Can I get someone to read from uh, verses 26 to 42? Any volunteers to read? Steve, do you want to just seven get on? When they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus predicted Peter's denial. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherds and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows, twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Then they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciple, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba. Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you but what you will. Then he returned to his disciple and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returned the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hand of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayal. Thanks, Steve. So after dinner, they sing a hymn and then they head towards the Mount of Olives where Jesus tells them one final time he's going to be killed and they're going to be scattered. Basically, this community that Jesus has brought together over three or so years, all his followers, all the people that he loves, all the people that loves him, is going to fall apart in a matter of hours, really because their leader, the shepherd, will be struck down. But for Peter, and probably for the rest of the disciples, this is a bit unimaginable. It's unthinkable. There's nothing that he could imagine that would separate him from Jesus. Because to this point, Peter has invested as much as Jesus has invested. He's given up his livelihood. He's given up his family. 
He's given up basically everything, and so have all the disciples, to follow Jesus. And over the course of his life, after this, he's going to give up everything, literally. So Peter's committed, and he knows it. He knows what he's already given up. So I don't think it's false bravado from Peter. Maybe it is a little bit. Maybe he's that type of guy that will talk it up. But he's also the type of guy that's committed, and he's proven it over three years. So it's not all talk. I think it really is genuine. He has no intention of ever, ever abandoning Jesus. And Peter says, even if the rest of these guys fall away, I would never. But Jesus tells him a pretty hard truth or a hard prophecy. He says, actually, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. And so we're left to wonder, are they going to scatter? And are they going to give it all up? They've given their lives to it, but can they? Can their faith survive what's about to happen? And in the next few verses, you see hints that maybe they will scatter. In verse 32, they arrive at Gethsemane, and Jesus is deeply troubled, it says. So he's never been described in these words in Mark. Normally he's in control, he's calm and he's powerful, but now it seems like Fear and distress and sorrow overcome and overwhelm. And he needs to pray. He needs to ask his father if there's another way out of this. Because the way ahead of him, this way, is just too heavy, too hard. And he asks his disciples to keep watch while he's praying. But they can't. It's probably very late. They're probably very tired. And so in the quiet, they fall asleep. And after Jesus prays the first time, he comes back and finds them sleeping. And not just once, but three times he finds them sleeping. And so we're left to wonder. Are you I, I don't oh, think you're no. oh, okay. just for the recording. Oh, okay. As he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. One I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of 
high priest, cutting off his head. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another, not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them. For you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses and he swore to them. I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowd crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word he had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will be Thanks, so, in the darkness, Judas comes and famously betrays Jesus with a kiss. And then his disciples flee and Jesus is taken to the chief priests. And what we see is that the chief priests have no reason to arrest him and they struggle with their own testimonies to find something to accuse him of. But there's nothing. And... They finally ask him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says, I am. And more than that, you'll see me coming in glory on the clouds. And they think they catch him in blasphemy. And so they cover his face and they spit on him and they strike him and they mock him and they say, prophesy about the one who strikes you when you're blind. 
And while all of this is happening to Jesus, Peter's in the nearby courtyard trying to warm himself by a fire like we're doing now. You guys got going very well. Thank you. And Peter is accused of being one of Jesus' disciples by a young servant girl, and he denies it. He says, I don't know what you mean. And the rooster croaks. And she accuses him again, and he denies it. And then another group of bystanders accuse him, and he swears a curse on himself, saying that he doesn't even know this man, whoever he is. And the rooster crows a second time. And Peter, knowing that he has abandoned Jesus, knowing that he's promised to never never abandon despite all the other disciples abandoning him, he knows he's broken that promise, and he breaks down and cries. The shepherd was struck down, and then the sheep were scattered. And even the bravest of them lost their faith that night. And that's the end of the night before Jesus was crucified. And so we look back and see Jesus being prepared for death by betrayal, but also by something beautiful with perfume. And we see him share his last meal, which is symbolically his whole body and his blood, not with friends and family, but with someone who would betray him. And actually with a room full of people who would abandon him. And we see him then unfairly accused and mocked. Probably not exactly how you choose to spend the last night of your life. Probably not how you choose to share the last meal of your life. But exactly how Jesus chooses to do it. As he dipped his bread, he knew who he was eating with. As he predicted his death and the denial of Peter, he knew who he was dying for. He wasn't dying for the bravest or the most worthy, but he was dying for weak people that would crumble under pressure. People who would stay awake if they could, but they just couldn't. He was a shepherd dying for his sheep, and that is the end of the night before Jesus was crucified. And so we finish there. It's not a satisfying ending, but that's how the night ends. Standing around a fire, denying Jesus, crumbling under pressure, and waiting for morning. Let me pray, and then we'll head home. Father, we remember the last night of your son's life on this night, a night surrounded by uh, betrayers and by death and people that would abandon him. But he remained faithful to you and committed to your plan. And he did all the things that he had to do. And so we thank you, Father, that he did that on our behalf, our shepherd dying for his sheep. And we look forward to um, his resurrection on Sunday. Amen.